invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 today. Um, you may have noticed that Kelly is out today. He is at the beach uh, on a much-deserved vacation. And so um, I'm so grateful for um, Chris and for Kathy for providing leadership for us today. Thank you for what you do. Um, we appreciate both of you. This church is... We're blessed with an abundance of incredibly talented people. And you and I get used to it week in and week out. And every now and then when we have someone come and visit, they say, are, all, like, do y'all, are they all professional singers in that choir? Um, so we, we are so blessed with the, the music that we have. And thank you. Kelly was talking just the other day that he's so encouraged that we're in July and so many of you are showing up. So thank you for being faithful to lead us in worship. We appreciate you. Also, we have a new member of our music team, Dr. Jim Dura, that I've failed to bring to your attention. Um, Dr. Dura, uh, unfortunately, his first Sunday, the power was partially on. And if you didn't know it, just behind that wall, there's a big blower that kind of helps the, the organ do what it's supposed to do. So he jumped over on the piano keys and played, and so... Just know that we are so grateful that you're a part of our church staff, and we look forward to getting to know you better in the days ahead. 1 John chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I've said several times that I've learned lots in my first almost full seven months of being your pastor. And, and one of the things that I learned early on is that, that when you're the pastor, people think that you're at least influential enough that it would be beneficial to scam people by pretending to be you. Um, if you get an email purportedly from Wayne Splon, who is in a meeting who can't talk, or who maybe even more effectively is praying and can't talk, and ask you to get back to him, know that it is likely not me. It's likely the beginning of a conversation that will end up being a scam of some sorts. And you and I can kind of laugh about it because we're, we grow up or we live in a world now that's just scams are everywhere. And Mary and I recently put a contract on a house, and when you start thinking about wire and money, your banks are really, really insistent that you make sure that you wire it to the right person. 
that you don't just send it out to whoever because everybody is out there, it seems, trying to get our stuff or get our money. That your full-time job could be that you get up every morning, you walk to your computer and you think, all right, how am I going to fish today? Who am I going to get? Who am I going to scam? But really, I think probably the scams that are the most effective are the scams that are based on things that we, we wish were true. That they appeal to some part of us that, that maybe I have a rich uncle who is a king who lives in Nigeria. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And he just happens to want to reach out to me. He just happens to want to give me part of the family fortune. If only I would give him my bank draft details. I, I, I wish that were true. And maybe I would believe it so much that I would say, yeah, maybe, you know, I've always felt kind of royal. Maybe I should go ahead and send that out. That I want that thing that I know in my heart of hearts is false to be true. And sometimes those are the most effective ways to scam or deceive people. When you read the letter of 1 John, this thing that, and this truth that's up and running behind everything in the letter is this, this false doctrine and this false teaching that had made its way into John's audience's fellowship. And the false doctrine was the idea that Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. That Jesus was maybe a figment of their imagination, maybe he was a hallucination, maybe he, he looked like he was real and physical, but he really wasn't. And so they took this doctrine and they started to build off or expound on it, and the implications were pretty significant. That if Jesus Christ wasn't really Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the one who came to be uniquely our Savior in the flesh, then they started to devalue what happened in the flesh. And they started to drive this wedge between the spiritual and the physical. And if they went down that road long enough, then, then where they arrived was that what you do in your body really doesn't matter. That what really matters is your soul and your spirit, and as long as you believe the right things and you're reconciled to the Father, then, then go out and live however you would like. And that second implication of this truth that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, impacted how they loved or lived in relationship with each other. That it really didn't matter how they loved or cared for other people in the church. That it was just Jesus and them and the Father, and whether or not they loved other people who were also made in God's image, who were also in the flesh, that part was somewhat irrelevant. And as I think about this error, as I think about this heresy that was up and running for John's audience, to me it sounds strangely familiar. It sounds strangely familiar that you and I, if we're not careful, we think about our salvation purely in terms of us and God. And we can even divorce any kind of demands that God might place upon us and how it is that we live our lives in the world. I mentioned last week in my sermon that, that sometimes we think about Christianity as, 
These are the things that I have to do. And then there's all these lists of optional things that I could do. But I don't have to do. And there is something initially so appealing about the idea that all that really matters is if my soul and my spirit are reconciled to the Lord and there are no demands that anyone else can place upon me. That I can worship wherever I feel God's presence. I can worship where I want to worship. I can do what I want to do. And there's no real need or there's no real necessity for me to show up in person and to think about how my life and my decisions impact others. You and I live in a world that is increasingly mediated by digital um, technologies. And during the pandemic, it just, I'm glad we had it. I'm so, so glad that we have this ability to reach people who can't be here physically with us in this room. I visited one of our church members yesterday who can't physically show up today, and I bet that she's at her computer watching even now. Like, praise God for that ability, that we can do that. But I think that you and I need to be really careful that we don't then think that embodied worship, being with people in community, is just kind of this this thing that we have to do but we don't really want to do, or it's not really that important how it is that we live in community with other people. And that how we live our lives and what we do primarily focuses on us spiritually being reconciled to the Lord. Because there's a part of us that would like for that to be true. Wouldn't you think? I mean, how many of you wanted to be at worship at 9 o'clock today? Some of you are probably like, man, 9.30 would have been better. Maybe 10. Maybe 10 would be better. Maybe I would show up at worship. 10 would be actually the ideal time. How many of you really wanted to get dressed up? Most days you don't see me wearing a suit, friends. But I know that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I put the suit on and we show up and we, there are these things that just given to my own preferences, given to my own desires, I would choose to do different things at different times. And that's that individualistic tendency that runs through us, you all, that, that really makes corporate life together hard. And sometimes I think we would love to believe that that we can kind of worship God wherever we feel His presence, on our timeline, on our schedule, and not really get involved with other people. And have to sacrifice and show up, put my preferences at the back burner and put your preferences ahead of mine. I really, part of me wishes that were true. You might know that Fleetwood Mac song, Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. I'm sorry that now that's in your head. Maybe you'll think about it later and remember the sermon. But there are some lies that we we would love to be true. Because it appeals to our sense of individuality and our sense of being Lord of our lives. And so John here in chapter 4 is careful to call these believers to pay attention to what it is that they believe. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this idea or this problem of false prophets has plagued God's people since we've been in existence. If you read back through the Old Testament, for example, God's people had kind of bought into this lie that how they lived really didn't matter. That they would go to the temple, they would offer the sacrifices, and then they would go out and mistreat people and engage in unjust practices. And there were some prophets that, you know what they said? They said, it's, it's good. Like what you're doing is fine. There's some of these radical prophets out here that want you to believe that how you live in the world matters. Don't listen to them. Everything is fine. You just keep doing you and your thing, and the Lord is going to bless you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, there's going to come a day when people want to hear what? They're going to have itching ears, and they're going to want to hear messages and truths that appeal to them. And so as long as God's people have been in the world seeking to be faithful to him, there have always been people who were ready to fill that slot, who are ready to come in and say, you know what, here's the truth of the matter. You just do you as it's convenient. God's pleased with you and go out and live your life however you want to. And don't listen to those pernicious prophets who are calling you to something higher and better. And so John says, be careful. And then he says in verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That you and I, when we confess our belief in the incarnation, that the Son of God humbled himself and came into the world and he took on flesh and he was made like us in every respect, yet without sin, and he became the perfect Savior for us, that that's not just something that we say in the creed that has no implication for how we live together, but that it's important. One, it's important because Jesus is uniquely qualified to be our Savior, that he is both God and he is man, that he knows what it's like to walk in our shoes and that he did everything right and never sinned against the Lord. And he did it as one of us. That it's not just that you and I believe a correct set of doctrines or pass some theology test, but, but our need for the Lord was so great that nothing apart from Jesus coming and doing something for us that we could not do for ourselves would be adequate for our salvation. So he says, any spirit that comes and would have you to believe that, that Christ did not come in the flesh, that, that prophet, that spirit is not from the Lord. And he uses this term that's, that's strong. He says that that spirit is the Antichrist. Now in your mind, you probably have all kinds of interesting pictures that pop up in your mind when you hear the word Antichrist. But just think anything that's against Jesus and his will and his work in the world. And it's probably pretty accurate, you all, that if you believe something that makes Jesus less necessary, less glorious, less important for you and your salvation, then likely it's not true. And it might be just kind of close to true, but not really 
truth of God's word for us. But our salvation is totally dependent on God to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And there's a part of some heresies that you read in the Bible that, that wants to appeal to the idea that you can do this. If you'll just be good enough and you'll just go to church enough and read your Bible enough and give enough money and do all these things, then you can do this. And there's a part of that that I would like to be true, wouldn't you? Or just give a little bit here, and these are the quotas that you have to make, and then you'll be okay with God and other people. But the reality of our situation is that you and I, apart from Jesus, are completely lost without hope in the world. Paul goes so far as to say that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, that we need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And it's the truth that that Jesus came into the world to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in the flesh that then totally changes the way that you and I respond to God and to each other. That now every part of who we are must be yielded to his plans and his purposes in the world. And just as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to go after other people, now you and I are called to live our lives in the world, to also love others in the same manner that he loved us. And it requires everything of who we are. That it's not this thing that we can kind of tip our hat to the Lord and we do a little bit here and we do a little bit there and believe the lie that Mountain Brook Baptist Church is going to be just fine with or without you. there's a part of that that seems good to our ears. That regardless of my level of participation in the church, everything is going to be just fine. I was talking to one of our young leaders one day in the church, and we were talking about budget season. And you may not know this, but in the summer we start working on next year's budget. In August, the finance committee will get together and look at next year's budget. We were having a conversation this day, and I was talking about the budget, and I was talking about finances of the church. And, you know, he asked me a really wonderful, insightful question. And he said, well, are there things that the church would like to do but can't do? Kind of saying, do you need more money? Which, when you think about it, is a really helpful question. And I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I've discovered in the time that I've been your pastor, in a way that I didn't think about it as fully when I was your associate minister, is that given the level of commitment and engagement, I think both financially and also with our presence and our time and our talents and our sense of calling to other people in the church, that we currently, I don't think, can be the church that God would have us to be. We can't currently live in to all that God would have us to do and to be as his people where we are right now. And I would say that in in every respect. And there's this 
this thing that I want you to pray about and live into. That who you are and your presence and your participation in every respect in the life of our church is essential for us to be who God would have us to be. And I mentioned it in past sermons, I mentioned the idea that, you know, we really do, as we hear the beautiful sounds of these babies in the sanctuary, praise God that there are babies in our church. There are some churches that don't have babies today. Like, as we hear their sounds that you and I, it really will take all of us to yield ourselves to be a part of them growing up and becoming all that God would have them to be. To pray for them, to develop relationships with them, and to be more than just kind of somebody that passes them in the hall. It would require more of us. And as our youth get older, I mentioned this last week, they're going to need more and more people to show up for them. I had lunch just this past week with one of our church members who's 89. You know, and I pray that the Lord will allow me to look like him if he lets me be 89. And I was sitting with him and he was talking about reading Ecclesiastes. And he said, as I read this book, wow, like he's right. That all the stuff that you can chase in the world will never satisfy the desires of your heart. And there are people younger than him that need to sit across the table and hear that now. Like, we are a better church if he's here and active and involved. And there are people on our church roles who you and I, we won't see very often because they can't be here. And there's more of us that need to go out and see them. I mentioned to you last week that, that I hope that one day I'll get like 50 emails from people after church saying, how can I help? I regret to inform you that last week I didn't get any. Not approaching 50. But here's the thing. As, as we yield ourselves to God's plans and His purposes in the world, and as we begin to understand that how I live and how I engage God's mission in the world matters to me and it also matters to other people. That there's some things about Christian growth and maturity that you can't experience when it's just you and Jesus in the Bible wherever you want to be. Marriage is a beautiful picture of this. I know that you think that Mary and I have a perfect marriage. Half of us, we do really well. The other half, it's a challenge. But it's in that context of covenant, commitment, and faithfulness where you keep showing up that you know what happens? You become more and more like Jesus as you lean into those hard things. And the same is true for us in our faith and our relationships with each other. But I'd love to tell you that, that it'd be okay, you just do you, you and Jesus out wherever you want to be and don't worry about anybody else or showing up. But the truth of it is and the reality of it is that you and I, to be all that God would have us to be, must fill this call in our lives and respond to the good news of the gospel. That our hearts are transformed 
and we care more about others than we care about ourselves. And in a community of faith like that, things start getting exciting. So I pray that God would help us to see and live into the reality of that truth more and more in the days ahead. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we confess to you that we sometimes have itching ears that would love to hear what we want to hear. That our pursuit of holiness in life doesn't really matter. It's just the spiritual or that whether we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, indeed and in truth, it doesn't really matter. So Lord, we pray that you would correct us in places that we believe that. And that you would give us a fresh vision of what it looks like to be followers of Jesus who embody the good news of the gospel, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. And that as people see our lives of love yielded to each other, that there would be something beautiful and transformative, that they would be drawn to our community of faith as they see the love of Christ on display. Father, I thank you for so many from our church who who give of everything that they have so often and so faithfully that you bless their efforts and that you would increase their numbers. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.